Hello and welcome to Asia Gaming Briefs podcast series. Today I'm talking with Brendan Bussman, who is the managing partner of B Global. We're going to be talking about the regulatory developments in Japan and some of the other key themes that are currently circulating in Asia's gaming markets. Hi, Brendan. Thanks very much for joining us today. It's great to speak to you again. Um, we're going to talk, first of all, about some of the developments we've seen around Asia recently. And I know Japan is something you've been following quite closely. Um, what do you think of the latest outcome there? Well, first and foremost, great to join you again. And, and uh, you know, it's always a positive experience working with you and the team, uh, talking about Asia and everything else in gaming. Um, as it relates to Japan, you know, obviously um, it, it's one of those that, that it sort of hit with a light thud when everything was turned in last week, um, that you only had two applicants. I mean, if you go back pre-COVID um, and, and even then you had, you know, six potential seven different cities that were in it, you know, there were still rumblings at the end of, you know, does a Chiba pop in? Does a Fukuoka pop in? But it's like they weren't farther off along the process to do it. Um, you know, and I look at the two apps that were turned in um, and, and I sit there and I go, you know, MGM has been very thoughtful throughout this entire process. They've said from the beginning, Osaka has been their desire. Um, I think they worked very well with the Osaka government to work through the challenges and say, how are we partnering in this together um, to be able to get this done? Um, and obviously it's a challenging site. Um, you know, the further challenge of, you could potentially get this up and going quicker um, if you didn't have this thing called World Expo in the middle of, of it. Um, but obviously, you know, you, you've got a site that's gonna be used for, for other capacities. So it's gonna delay the construction um, aspect of that. And you won't see an IR on that site till the, till the late 2020s, uh, assuming they get approval. Um, to the same extent, um, you know, you have the Nagasaki proposal that, um, you know, still has some questions that need to be answered by a lot of people because they haven't seen the app. Um, you know, Casino Austria being chosen, um, financing questions have, have continued to be arisen over, do they have everything in place to make this work? Um, obviously, Nagasaki from the beginning has been one of the, um, I'll label it one of the shining stars because public support was there. Yeah, there were some that came in at the end that said, hey, we don't want this. Um, but, you know, consistently over, over the, the modern history of this, and, and I say modern going, I've been at this since 2004 when it came to Japan, um, you know, most people in Nagasaki have said, hey, this could be a good thing. So, you know, I think yet to be determined on how the government looks at it. I think we'll hear a lot of quiet uh, noise, if you want to call it, of, you know, hey, here's what's happening, here's what's not, but no official word until they start getting through everything. Um, but you know, it, it's a little bit disappointing from the standpoint going, you had such a crown jewel, um, as some of us that have been here 17, 18 years, uh, and looking at it and now are sort of sitting on the outside going, okay, where's the rest? And I think that's the bigger question with Japan is when may the rest come and what does that look like? Does a Tokyo raise their hand? Does a Wakayama that got tossed at the last minute? Um, and the governor there saying, we'd love another try. Um, does a Chiba pop up? Does a Fukuoka pop up, dependent upon Nagasaki? And then does anybody up north, you know, make a push? But yet to be determined on how that process may or may not shake out over time. Do you think that they will award the both licenses that have gone through? Um, very interesting question. 
Um, I think there's a couple of different schools of thought on what may or may not happen. Um, you know, the, the lock, if I, I'll say, is, is obviously MGM, um, which, as I stated earlier, is very much um, worked in partnership with Osaka to, to say, let's work through the challenges on a very challenging site, um, both from an access standpoint, um, the, the parts, the, the landfill itself, um, of being able to prop up the island uh, for the long term, um, but obviously working through some of the issues that came up um, along the way. Um, you know, the, the, the more, hey, let's, let's get the devils in the details when it comes to the Nagasaki pitch. Um, you know, I will say this about the, the, the prefecture of Nagasaki having worked with them throughout the years and getting to know several of them. Um, there's not a nicer group of people out there, not saying there aren't, you know, anything about the other things out there, but very thoughtful, very well-intentioned of trying to figure out the best way to do this over the years when it came to Nagasaki. Um, I think we just have to get, you know, more of the devil in the details of is, you know, the, the, the Casino Regulatory Commission going to look at that and say, hey, they, they hold up to the snuff we're looking for in a project with that along the way. Um, you know, you still got a few issues there too, as it relates to the tax issue that still needs some clarity, um, which could, you know, put some things in jeopardy overall. But, you know, I guess to go back to your question, I'm pretty confident about one, the second one, sort of a wait and see, but um, that still leaves a minimum of one on the table where you could easily open up a process again at some point, whether that be later this year or as the loss prescribed down the road um, to future more than the three, or, you know, you've at least got one on the table. It'll be interesting to watch for sure. Do you think you're know, moving on to the rest of Asia now, the wider Asian region, it's opening up again, um, finally. But do you think that any of the other governments may have had their mind changed uh, due to gambling, uh, towards gambling, sorry, given the COVID depleted government coffers? You know, I, I think good, you know, good question. I think it honestly depends on the market along the way. I think you know, um, you, you take the Philippines, for example, um, that obviously at this point is, is you know, I'll say guns a blazing ready to keep going um, as they, you know, for two years have sat through the bumps along the way. Um, you know, I, I think first and foremost, COVID afforded them an opportunity, especially as it came to the online scene, to sort of straighten out the regulatory framework and say, hey, we've got to clean this up. We've got to do some things AML related all of those. So it gave them pause to say, what do we need to do regulatorily to make this work? Um, to the same extent, though, obviously, uh, the president has had some um, conversations, if you want to say, saying, hey, here's where, we here's where I'm going on the future um, over things. And obviously, you've got a presidential race there that I think will help determine, you know, further how that market looks. Um, but, you know, I, I think there's opportunity for them to say, hey, let's figure out a way to build those coffers back up and do it. As you look at other markets, um, you know, I think it depends on markets and how they've challenged it. You know, I think Singapore, um, that now is obviously fully open again, is looking at that, you know, the duopoly that exists there. They're looking to get back on track because, you know, you have two premier projects uh, and operators down there um that uh you know are are in need and will be further developed uh in their expansion opportunities so you know you look at a market like singapore and it still is one of the crown jewels 
not just within Asia, but within all the world uh, as an example of how to do gaming development, use tourism as a driver to be able to do it. Um, you know, you look at some of the other markets, Cambodia, Vietnam, um, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about Macau a little bit later on, which is a segment off to itself. You know, obviously I think governments are sitting there going, how do we recoup the dollars? Um, but, you know, considering in some things the way they were politically and geopolitically speaking prior to that, especially with the online scene, um, and not knowing the tourist outcome, I think it's much more of a balanced approach that people are looking at going, this isn't the windfall we'd think it'd be, but obviously it's something that we can start to rely on back and trying to get this in and, you know, other parts of the world, you know, the U S and, and as you're seeing now with Europe are starting to get those back as the world's reopened. Right. What about Thailand? We haven't mentioned that because obviously they do seem to be now seriously studying um, regulating gaming to get that revenue back up again and, and kickstart its tourism economy. What do you think the likelihood of that going through is now? You know, I, I think obviously there, there's been sort of two storylines off of it as one of how are we going to do this? And we're looking at this from a very internal sense. And then there's been other reports of certain operators saying, hey, we're the ones that are going to be the ones doing it. Um, which obviously those have been downplayed even on even on the LVS earnings call last week uh, of, of people getting ahead of things. You know, I think Thailand could be a very good market and is one over the course of time, if done properly, you know, using, I'm going to say Singapore as a base of driving tourism because it became the model. And I think other people have gleaned off of how to best do that. Um, you know, it all depends on how they want to structure it, you know. There, there's a distinct advantage when you start bringing in tourism as a driver to say, what do I need for investment? What do I need in a tax rate um, to put in a beautiful, big facility that's going to drive people to the destination? No different than Marina Bay Sands did, no different than Resorts World Sentosa did um, to be able to do that. And I think Thailand has the opportunity to do that. The challenge there is also um, you have some religious factors, you have some government factors coming into it that you didn't see elsewhere, um, which they've got to balance off as they look at this saying, you know, can we make it all work and, and in, a, in a good environment? So dying to see what the, what the report comes up with here uh, and what they say, but, you know, I think the market opportunity is strong. They've just got to work through a few of the kinks to figure out if they want to go forward with that. What would um, having casinos in Thailand mean for the Cambodian market, for example, would that kill that off or is there still a market for both? Well, you know, I think the bigger question off of that, one, I, I think there's an opportunity for both, but, you know, I think yet to be determined of where the traveler comes back to, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I think, you know, taking a very Western approach when I say this is Thailand seems a little bit more, I don't want to use the word favorable, but more of a popular probably is the better term than a Cambodia of where somebody from, from a, a European or a Western viewpoint would be. Now that said, when it comes to Asia, obviously all of it is on the table because, and they're both great markets, plain and simple, but everybody wants to know where does that Chinese customer come back to when China's allowed to reopen? Um, mm -hmm. And that becomes the greater question going, what does that Chinese tourist look like um, in a year, uh, in two years, and probably even more importantly in five, because as we're seeing right now in China and, and the, the continued lockdowns, as well as the delays for any future opening of the border both ways, 
uh, not just for those of us that look forward to going back, but obviously those that would like to go out beyond, you know, mainland or Macau or anywhere else in Hong Kong uh, to be able to do that. Where do those people migrate to and how do they do it? I think that customer probably is a little bit more mass and premium mass as opposed to VIP, um, just because of, of um, I'll use the word regulatory challenges with money movement um, that have come as, as relates to the pandemic. But, you know, I think, you know, it just depends on where that customer turns to and the offering that they have. People know the product you have automatically in Cambodia as it relates to Thailand. I think it's yet to be determined what that product may or may not be. Okay. Let's come back to uh, Asia again. Um, Macau. What's your views on Macau? Do you think that it will ever become the, the return to what it was prior to the COVID? Well, and, and, and there's sort of two returns as you look at Macau, because obviously there's where it was at before the shutdown, and there, then there's where it was at in its heyday, um, which is obviously, you know, where it was at in its heyday, you know, a few years before that, I, I don't see that for a very long time ever coming back. Um, as it relates to current Macau um, and getting to, I'll say back to normal um, of where you were at in 2019, I still think you're a few years off from that. You know, the challenges that rely on that, though, are twofold because one, you've had um, visitors that haven't been able to get in. And obviously, once those get in, that, that will help that rebound happen quicker. Um, but you look at the numbers from Golden Week, not just from a GGR perspective, but even from an occupancy perspective. And it's, you know, it's, it's unfortunate where those numbers are at. Um, and obviously China's going through another surge that we'll have to see, um, you know, with this continued zero COVID policy, when it, when those guys open back up to be able to not only go within the cross borders, um, and obviously that also includes the Hong Kong border uh, that's been shut, you know, for two plus years at this point, um, but the longer term of, of when that, you know, you can get rid of some of the restrictions. The second challenge, though, that I think exists, though, is you know, you've got six operators in that market um, or six sub-concessionaires in that market because obviously you also have all the junket operators and everybody else that have been challenged for survival over the last two years. Um, you know, you've, you've done your best to keep people employed. You've done your best to keep things moving, but, you know, the market hasn't been able to dictate what's in there. I mean, there's always the hope and promise for the future of getting it back, but the, the longer this is delayed, the longer those companies are battered, um, and especially in the middle of a recon, uh, of the of the new concession process and getting that next ten years. You know, what does that look like if I'm if I'm limping to the finish line at the end of this year? Is there anything else you'd like to add, Brandon? You know, I, I look forward to getting back to Asia. Um, it's, uh, it's been on my, uh, I'll call it my bucket list um, <laughs> and uh, look forward to hopefully getting back not only there here in the next couple months, but hopefully also making over uh, in July to Manila to uh, catch up with friends over at uh, your wonderful event. Thank you for joining us. I've been talking with Brendan Busman, who's the managing partner with B Global.